Thank you, Brian, for that prayer in particular, and thank you for the introduction as well. So as he said, I'm Kirk. I'm the director of missions for Spring River Association. We have, if you're not familiar with what we do, there are 47 churches that make up the association in about a 50-mile circle uh, here in Joplin, Carl Junction, Webb City. We go out past Carthage, and we go down as far south as uh, we have two churches that have Neosho addresses, although they're on the far north side of Neosho. And so we have 47 churches. We have the Baptist Student Union Ministry on the Missouri Southern Campus. And so uh, we get to deal with some uh, college students as well. And I'm uh, thankful for that ministry. I'm thankful for you as a partner church because you have partners that you may not even know about. Uh, what we do is a threefold kind of thing through the associational ministry. We uh, encourage pastors for one, we equip churches, and then we engage both in the work of evangelism and mission not only at home, but all the way around the world. As Pastor Brian was praying for some folks that are serving uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida, we have a disaster relief team also through the association that will be going in the next couple of weeks. And so I know there are ways that we can partner together and some things that you don't even realize happen. I can tell you this, there are churches in the association that will place First Baptist Church of Carl Junction in their bulletin on certain days and then pray for you. And so you have some friends that, again, are praying, and I think it's valuable that we support one another. And there are a handful of churches that do that, that place various sister churches on their prayer lines uh, as far as encouraging each other through prayer. And so if you would turn to James chapter 1, I'm not here. I'm, I know I got a shameless plug on my shirt. If you want to learn more about Spring River, I'd be glad to talk with you about that. Uh, but Pastor Jeremiah asked me to come and share the Word of God with you today, and I'm very happy to do that. James chapter 1, I want to give you three keys to perseverance. And in particular, we're going to be in verses 12 through 15. I think that no greater time uh, has the book of James been more valuable because over the past year and a half or so, there are a lot of things that we've had to struggle through and persevere through. And maybe it hasn't been that big of a deal for you, but there will be a time in your life where you will be called to persevere uh, through trials. And the Word of God is very clear on that. And I'll show you that in just a moment. But I want to give you three keys, and this can be very effective for any struggle or any trial that you have to face in life. It doesn't have to be about anything in particular at one point in time or another, because at certain times there are going to be family issues that we deal with, at certain times there are going to be work-related issues that we must deal with, at certain times there may be school-related issues that you deal with, there's a variety of things. Somebody may have came in today and they're worried about the four tires that are on the car that you drove in on, and that's perfectly fine. Just remember, it's God's vehicle, and so you just say, Lord, your car needs new tires. Let's see what happens, see how God provides, because he always does provide in good ways. So persevere. Listen to what this says at uh, verse 12, reading from the English Standard Version. I don't know what your preferred version is, but that's what I'm reading from today. It says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, 
brings forth death. Father, I pray at this point, just as Pastor Brian already has, that my words would not cloud your word. So, Lord, it is powerful. You have pinned it down for us, and we value it. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So these three keys. The first one is this. If we're going to persevere in trial or under temptation, other translations that you may read may say something like, blessed is the man who endures temptation. The words are somewhat uh, interchangeable, but I do believe that the correct uh, translation is trial because that's what James has already alluded to and he's already introduced back in chapter 1 verse 2 where he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And so we're dealing with trials today. The first key that we look at is to maintain an inner focus on contentment, being content being content with what we have, being content with who we are. We're taught various things in our day and age that we need more and we need better stuff all the time. We're able to get all kinds of different things. We are financially able to do a lot of various things. Things are readily available for us, and so we're taught that more is better, and we're always needing to upgrade into various kinds of things. Better vehicles, better homes, better jobs, Unfortunately, better marriages, sometimes it seems like our marriage relationships just become disposable. And the divorce rate really hasn't changed that much over the past 30 years or so. And so these are challenges for us. What one must focus on is this idea where it says, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. Now let me give you a little bit of a working definition for trials. It could be anything that threatens our faithfulness to Christ. Anything that threatens our faithfulness to Christ. And you can see that can come in a variety of different colors. After all, James has said, my brothers count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That is, that could be translated multicolored trials. It comes from this idea of fabric that's put together. Various or multicolored trials, when they're all come together, what they do is they make someone stronger. There are a variety of trials that we all face. Now, we can read that and say, James, you are crazy. Because we're not supposed to, or we don't get up and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for another trial or another temptation that we must deal with. That was not on your to-do list, was it? To get up and say, God, bring me all kinds of issues that I have to deal with today. No, that's not what we do. We don't, we call it an alarm clock for a reason, right? It should be called an opportunity clock because God gives you an opportunity to get up every day and serve him. He gives you an opportunity to see the blessings that are around us. And so we look at this and it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. You need to understand this word is much different than just happy. Again, sometimes this might get translated, happy is the one. If you were to look back in Matthew chapter 5, you've probably studied the Beatitudes from time to time. And it talks about uh, all of those blesseds. All of those, sometimes they get uh, termed as happy is the one. It, it begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, being blessed and being happy are two different things. There are things that happen in our lives that I'm not necessarily happy about. This is a personal scenario. Just a few weeks ago, I lost my dad. He had a major stroke, and my dad was 80 years old. So I'm thankful that uh, right up to that point, he was 
living until he died, basically. After he had the stroke, he never regained consciousness, and so I never got to have that last conversation with him. Does that make me happy? No. I wish some things were different. I wish I could have said some things one more time to my dad. But I am blessed, though, because I know where eternity lies. I know where my dad lies in eternity. I know where that contentment comes from. And so being happy and being blessed or content are two different kinds of things. I hope you realize that you've been blessed with a great deal. The Lord promises to take care of his children. He says we're much more valuable than the birds of the air. He promises to provide for us. We can realize that we are blessed in those ways. We can be content in the things that God has given us. I hope you're blessed in your family situation. You can't help where you've been placed in your family structure, and I realize that. But you can realize that God placed you there for a reason. One of the best things that I used to bring out when I was pastoring a church and people would come in and they would ask for counsel on how to get through certain scenarios in a spouse type relationship. And one side, it didn't matter if it was the husband or the wife, they would start to lay out their case, if you will. Well, he does this all the time. He leaves those socks on the floor. All that stuff's a mess all the time. He does this or she does that. And I would always stop them and say, well, let's wait a minute. Let's back up however many years you've been married because remember... You're the one that picked them. You're the one that chose to be in that relationship. And some would disagree, I know that. Some would say, no, God placed me there. God, well, you had some choice in that kind of matter. The one that you decided to stick with. And so we need to just be content with what God has placed us in. We have to realize that God is in control of a lot of various things. But this says, blessed is the one... Content is the one who remains steadfast, who stands, if you will, under trial. It says, for when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown. Understanding this idea of being blessed means that any trial, anything that threatens my faithfulness to Christ, I have to look at it in the right kind of mindset. I have to count these trials as various things that are going to lead somewhere. Because again, when you look back earlier in chapter 1, it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something, and that is patience. That's When you look at this term for patience, it's literally the idea of long burning. It's a compound word that comes together, and it means basically a long type fuse. If I'm patient, I don't just blow up immediately. I'm able to withstand, I'm able to stand under these trials and persevere under certain struggles. So knowing this, it's not if you fall into trials. The Bible says it's when you fall into these temptations and these struggles. And so I can tell you this, we must persevere. We must look inwardly and be content because there will be a time that you're going to face a struggle in life. God's word predicts it. It is probable. It will happen. Count it all joy when you face these various trials. But again, that's not always our mindset. Our mindset is to be scattered everywhere. You realize that in our day and age, it's not so cool anymore to be church members. For the first year, Gallup has done a poll every year, and you may have already read about this. 
But Gallup does a poll every year and have done that for the past 80 years. And this is the first year in the Gallup poll across the United States that church membership has fallen below 50%. Uh, it rates at 47%. And that's, that's not members of just Southern Baptist churches or Methodist churches or it's any church. It's various denominations all across the country. In the Gallup poll, 47% of Americans are church members. The American Bible Society this year came out with their study, and they do this every year as well, 55% of Americans, and they survey people in all 50 states, the American Bible Society does, 55% of Americans on their survey believe that the Word of God is inerrant. I find that fascinating. 55% of Americans believe the Word of God is inerrant, and yet 47% of Americans are members of any kind of church whatsoever. So something's wrong in translating, we believe the word of God is inerrant. 71% in the American Bible study, Society study felt like the word of God is actually the word of God. That's powerful to me. But yet somehow we're missing the mark. We believe the Bible is true and inerrant, but yet joining with a church, joining with brothers and sisters seems to be less important. And here's why I would say that it's even more important, because these struggles are going to happen. You need each other to stand together to help keep us content with what's on the inside. And hopefully what's on the inside is Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I know you've been dealing over the past few weeks as Pastor Jeremiah has talked about the vision for the future, and I know in at least one of those messages, he was basing around the good news of Christ and how the gospel propels us forward and takes us forward. And that needs to be front and center in all churches, every kind of church, and in particular, when we face these trials of various kinds. The perseverance, though, when this says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test of time, he will receive something. So we look inwardly. Here's the first one again. Looking inwardly is how you persevere. Inwardly looking at contentment. Maintaining that contentment. Not allowing the enemy to get you focused on something else, but looking at how God has provided Secondly, what we do is we magnify this outward focus on eternity. Inwardly, we focus on contentment. Outwardly, we look at eternity. We look at eternal life. It says, when he has stood the, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown, which is life. That's how this could be translated again in a great way. The crown, which is life. In the New Testament, there are many crowns are talked about. A couple of them could be the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. These things are all pointing to the same thing. There is a reward for those that trust Christ. And so I have to pause at this point, and I don't know you personally, and so we must realize and we must look internally and think, has there been a day where I have trusted Christ as Savior? Not you doing the good things that you can do. Not trying to do and be all the things that you can be. But have I come to that place where my faith is just firmly rooted in the good news of Jesus? And I'm sure that all of you do some very good things. 
You look very good as I just look out across the congregation today. You're good people, I'm sure. But just being good and doing good works doesn't save. It's having faith in Jesus Christ. So the one that perseveres, it says, the one that is long to burn or doesn't just blow up, the one that hangs in there, that stands strong, will receive this crown of life. We strive for this crown, yes. It's presented, it's a crown that is glory in eternity. You realize that you're part of eternal life now? You are part of eternity right now. We go on living for all of eternity. It's just this is a temporary scenario. And I, Yesterday is a difficult day because you watch some of the television shows and you watch how those towers fell after airplanes crashed into them. My thought usually is something like after they crashed into that, you wonder, you know people on various floors would have heard the signal or the call to evacuate the building. But how many of those folks thought, I can do maybe just one more thing as part of my job. Maybe I can take one more step to get this one function and then I'll evacuate the building. They're not seeing the urgency of what was actually happening. I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm sure there were some that waited and said, well, we can just hang on for a while. But then eventually those things come down. And so I just challenge you and ask you to think about the urgency in Christ. Have you personally, maybe you've heard many sermons, whether it's Pastor Jeremiah or somebody else. Maybe you've heard the good news many times. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Would you look within your heart? And realize there is a crown which is life that's being offered to you today. Jesus died many years ago. But sometimes we put that on the back burner. We don't take that as urgent as we need to. And so today I would encourage you to look within your own heart and your own life. And see are there things that need to be rearranged. Have you fully trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior? We're all going to stand before God. The only way to get to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to take it serious today. God has placed you in this congregation today. You could have been many other places. You could have done all kinds of various things. But for some reason, God has seen fit to place you here today. And you came into this building. I don't know how you came in, but I do know you can walk away changed. You can walk away realizing that eternal life is real and it's something that each one is offered graciously, and I'm thankful that we have that opportunity. Well, we magnify the outward focus on eternity, and this ought to propel us even. It says, uh, to the one who has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I'm thankful that God gives us promises. There are things that he guarantees. His love is a promise. We know 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says God is love. It's a characteristic of who he is. He is a loving father. Some of us may have come from various uh, family backgrounds. I, there was never a doubt that my dad loved me, and I'm thankful for that. You may have come from a very different situation where you did not know a good loving father. And so it may bring a different kind of mindset when we talk about God as a heavenly father being love. 
you may come from something very difficult. And that's hard to grasp when we say that God is love. But the Bible is very clear that he loved us enough to send his only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And so I encourage you again to think about this eternal existence. The Bible says anyone that does not love God does not know God. And that's know him intimately and personally. So focus outwardly on eternity, not only for ourselves, but for those that are around us. The Bible again says that we will be witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Acts 1.8. That's, that's not only at home, right here in Carl Junction or wherever you live, that's all the way around the world as well. But God calls us to be something different than what we naturally are. He calls us to be his witnesses. Sometimes that means we show people God's love through action. Other times that means we speak God's love through words. Both of them, though, must go together. They need to see a heart that is full of love, that is focused on eternity. This is not all there is. This is not the glory that there is. We're going to be with God at some point. Have you ever thought about that? And people ask that question, what are we going to do in heaven all that time? Well, I'm going to go bass fishing or I'm going to play golf, you know, every day. I don't think we're going to do any of that stuff. I think we're going to worship God. Now, maybe he's going to surprise me. And when I stand before God, he say, Kirk, you're really silly because you're going to get to play golf every day. Okay. So if that's the case, great. But I know what's going to be changed is these, we see this stuff temporary. These bodies are temporary. Right now we just see, the Bible says, through a mist or like a crazy mirror. Someday, though, we're going to stand before God and we're going to understand everything. And I think we're going to want to worship him wholeheartedly and for all the rest of eternity. Now, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like, and you probably don't know either. But we can read and see what the Word of God says. This says he's got a crown, which is life, that is stored up for us. We have a gift that we are able to receive for those that love him. So you look inwardly at contentment, contentment, and then you look outwardly at eternity. And I think we need the urgency of being able to tell folks what eternal life is about and offer that that point of salvation to everybody that we come in contact with, never more so needed than now. And James is writing to a group of people that are scattered. Again, if you go back in chapter 1, he says he's talking to those that have been dispersed, the Jews that have been dispersed, and that's out from Jerusalem. There was great persecution in the first century, and so James is talking to people that have been scattered out into this world. And they needed encouragement. They felt alone. And there may be times in your life in this same way. When it's not so cool to be called a Christian any longer, possibly in our world. We may feel like we don't have friends and church members that can stand together. Well, we need this kind of encouragement. We need to be able to persevere under this kind of trial. And so here's what we do. We focus on contentment inwardly. We look outwardly at eternity and we begin to move and ask people to understand that and show that to various people within the world. And then here's number three is we have these three keys to perseverance. When you fall under times of trial, this says don't blame God. 
right? And this may be the most important one. We often want to blame God for everything. This says, in particular, when I'm being tempted, he says, don't say that I'm being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so you have to figure out, well, where does the temptation come from? Even Jesus Christ was tempted. You realize in Hebrews it talks about, it says he was tempted in every way just like we are, yet he was without sin. So the temptation is not the problem. The trial is not the problem. It's how I respond to it. It's whether I give in or whether I remain faithful. The temptation is not the issue. But as you're going through these trials in life, don't blame God when we're the ones that give in to sinful activity. And James is very clear. He has this fishing motif. He, he has this idea that says we are lured away. It says at verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I used to pastor a church that was on the Lake of the Ozarks. And so I had all kinds of people that loved to fish. And you could go up to any one of them and talk about, well, what are the crappie biting on the best right now? What are the catfish biting? And they would be happy to tell you for 30 minutes what they're fishing with, which is fine. I, don't, I didn't care about that. that. They took me with them often. And so I didn't have to have a boat of my own. I had 50 in the congregation. And so we could, it was great. I'm not belittling that. And I'm not belittling fishing whatsoever. But what James is doing is he's equating the sin that we fall into by this lure. You see, the shiny thing that the fish are attracted to or the smell or the taste or whatever it is they see. They're attracted, they're drawn to it, and then eventually they bite. And in the same way, we do the same stuff. We see something that, well, we're not quite as contempt as we should be. We see other stuff that we want, and before long it does become sinful, and we bite, and we're hooked. And James says, when it is full grown, it leads to death. And I think you realize this, that's exactly how Adam and Eve fell. They saw something that God said no to, and they devoured and they sinned. Now, they were both together on that. Later on, there would be a time in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, where the Lord says to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. But he says, God says this to Cain, You must rule over it. You must overcome it. Don't blame God. I don't know if Jesus was tempted with things on the internet like we are, but some of the same ideas and some of the same things that were enticing to us as humans, he was enticed with as well. So the Bible says he was tempted just like us, yet he was without sin. Being fully God and fully human, he had to deal with the human side just like we do. And so I encourage you to think about the things that you struggle with, the things that you deal with. Don't blame God for those. Look at this as an opportunity to count it all joy when we face various kinds of trials. 
what your struggle looks like on this side of the room compared to this person's on this side of the room may be radically different. But the way we go through it can be radically the same. It's through our Savior in Jesus Christ. And then, yes, you need help of other people. You need to do things that are very wise. You need to read God's Word. You need to base your life on the things that God's already given us. He's given us parameters or boundaries within the Word of God. We just simply have to live by them. And I know it can be difficult. It can be very hard. But what are you building your life on? Recently, I saw a clip of some killer whales that were hunting seals. You think, well, that's crazy. Killer whales hunting seals. Yeah. The seals thought they had the upper hand because what they would do is they would get out on floating icebergs, if you will, and they'd think they'd look at these whales that were out there. Well, you can't come up on this large ice bank. And it was big enough to stay stable uh, for the most part. But here's what the whales figured out. They could work together, and they would swim right up to the ice itself, and then several of them would all turn at the same time, and a wave would go up over the iceberg, and it would wash the seal right back off the iceberg into the water. The whales figured this out. If they worked together, they could have a meal. They would be taken care of. Now, that illustration, you can look at this from a couple of different sides. You can look at it from the side of the whales that figured out we can work together and we can come together for a common cause. Church members and believers today need to do the same kind of thing. Not, now, you're not trying to kill seals. That's not where this is going, all right? I kind of feel sorry for the seals as you watch this happen. So my heart's torn on this. And I'll probably regret that I ever brought this up as an illustration. But if they work together, they got a good outcome. You can look at it from the seal's side. The seal thought they were safe. They thought, in myself, I can stand here. I can make fun of those killer whales. I'm good to go. Then when actually what they were on was just as unstable as anything else. If what you're building your life on is the unstable surroundings of this world, the Bible tells me this world's going to burn up. This world's going to be done away with. The only thing that is solid is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Is that what you're building your life on? There are killers out there. There are whales out there that want to come together and cause you harm in this world. That's just the way it is. I alluded earlier to go back to Matthew chapter 5 where all the blessings are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It then says blessed are those that mourn because you realize if I'm poor in spirit, I've got nothing to offer. I cannot save myself and that ought to cause me to mourn. Then it says blessed are the meek. It goes from there. You see what's the very bottom one? There are eight of them all together. The very last one is blessed are those that are persecuted. You begin at poor in spirit and God takes you full circle to where he's sending you out into the world. He knows it's a difficult place. But we are called to go out and share the good news of Christ everywhere. It's the only solid foundation that we have. Jesus Christ himself who died on the cross and rose again for you. If you're building your life on anything else you will be washed away like those seals are. You will struggle. 
Now these trials that James is talking about, it does appear that these are spiritual trials. And yet there were also physical trials that happened at the same time, and we know that for a fact. But I would say today it's really difficult to live a content life in Jesus Christ when we see the world doing all this other stuff. But he wants you to focus on eternal glory that comes through him. Don't blame God. God's got a plan for you. He loves you very much. He will take care of you because his word says so. Now there are some good things that are happening in our world even today. There are some good things that are happening in Southern Baptist circles uh, today. You realize that over the past a uh, year or so, just through disaster relief alone, they've served up over 800,000 meals just on scenarios like Hurricane Ida. That's 800,000 lives that are touched for the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a little church that's south of Joplin. Over this past year, they've baptized 19 people. It's, it's pretty impressive because think about this. When a church goes into the year averaging 20 in a worship service and you baptize 19 people and all of a sudden you're running 36 and 37 and 38 on a worship service that tells me that God is alive God is at work some people say well hey Kirk listen you, you don't understand we've only got $300 in our budget for outreach no, look at it this way. Thank God we've got $300 in our budget for outreach. Now, what are we going to do with it? No, don't blame God. Don't belittle what God is doing. And I don't know what he's doing here at First Baptist of Carl Junction. But thank God for what you've got. And thank God that you've got the opportunity to go through a trial in life or a temptation. And thank God that he's going to see you through it. And I'm, I'm probably preaching to the choir today. I hope I am. Y'all are probably the most faithful bunch in a 50-mile circle, and I'm glad for that. But at some point, we just will struggle. And at some point, we'll have to persevere. But when you do, just remember, God's given us a bunch. Inwardly, we're content. Outwardly, we focus on eternal life. And all along the way, we don't blame God for the struggle that happens. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, there are probably many other things I could have said from this passage of Scripture. And, Lord, I pray that, again, my words haven't clouded your word whatsoever. But, Lord, I pray for this group that your spirit is working and drawing them closely. I pray, God, that you would comfort some that may be going through a struggle in life right now. There may be some that are dealing with temptation and trials in life. Lord, give them the courage to find someone else to pray with, find someone else to be accountable to. Let this body be a true body of Christ that serves and works together. I thank you, Lord, for the pastoral leadership that's here. I pray you bless Jeremiah and you bless, bless Brian. I'm thankful for Connor that's leading worship. Lord, I pray that you would help them to follow you very close. But Lord, it's just not pastors that are called to lead. There are others that are here together. So Lord, bless this church, bless this body. 
Help us to confess sin from time to time when it's necessary. And Lord, we know that if we will confess, you're faithful through that. Faithful and just even. Forgiveness is possible. Lord, I pray for some that may have come in today and this is the first time they've heard about Christ being Lord and Savior. If that's the case and there are some here that need to be that real with you, Lord, again, open their hearts and open their eyes to see how Jesus died for them. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for grace and mercy. Forgive us, Father, where we failed and help us to follow you even today. In Jesus' name, amen.